Well, uh, King Tutankhamun, uh, also known as King Tut, uh, he became pharaoh at age nine. Uh, and he reigned for, for 10 short years, and he died at age 19 in around 1324 BC. And he was a relatively insignificant pharaoh in terms of uh, relative to the other pharaohs. Uh, but what made him uh, super significant uh, was when British archaeologist Howard Carter uh, found the entrance to his tomb and chiseled his way into this in intact tomb. Uh, and so that was a big deal to, to, because these, these, uh, these pharaohs had their, their entrances concealed so that nobody would find them and go in there uh, and loot the temple. So uh, after two years uh, of going in uh, to, to uh, this entrance and then finding the various rooms that were in there, uh, he finally found uh, the greatest treasure of the tomb, uh, which was a stone sarcophagus which contained uh, a solid gold coffin that held the mummy of King Tut. And so this mummy uh, preserved the boy king uh, for some 3,000 plus years, uh, which is amazing, right? Uh, Egyptians, they mummified their pharaohs because uh, they wanted to keep their bodies intact for the spiritual afterlife. And they buried their treasure with them because they thought that these uh, pharaohs could use uh, their assets in the spiritual afterlife. And then they sealed and concealed the entrances to these tombs because they didn't want looters to find them. They were hoping that these tombs would never be discovered. And in the case of King Tut, uh, his tomb was sealed and concealed for millennia. Now, what does King Tut have to do with Daniel? I'm glad you asked. Uh, at the end of Daniel's vision and prophecy, uh, the angel Daniel was speaking to uh, him and told him to seal up the book that he had written, but not for the purpose of concealing the contents of the revelation like the Egyptians uh, concealed uh, the entrances uh, to, their, uh, to the other people uh, from further generations. Uh, the revelation was to preserve, to seal it for future generations so that they would have access to it. So God wanted us and he wanted the people uh, who would be living in these tribulation times to have access to these prophecies and to gain comfort from them. So that is what it means to seal up. So in this final section, uh, God gave Daniel instructions to preserve uh, this message. And then revelation about the, the length of time of the distress in verses 5 to 7. And then finally, he answered Daniel's questions about the outcome of these events, uh, because Daniel was still perplexed in verses 8 to 13. So let's first talk about the instructions to preserve the message. And this is verse 4. Uh, but you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. So I normally read from the New American Standard, but I chose the NIV this week because I prefer uh, this translation. Uh, it says, roll up and seal the words of the scroll. And the idea behind that, uh, the, the Hebrew verb is uh, to seal, not to conceal. Uh, that's what the New American says. It says conceal. Uh, or to keep secret, like the New Revised Standard Version has. Uh, I think the idea is to seal the, the scroll with the intent of preserving it. Uh, and so how is this done? Well, 
Now think about if you bought a house today. If you bought a house today, uh, you would sign a deed, right? Uh, or you would receive a signed deed. There would be one original, only one original copy, which would be notarized, and, and then uh, there would be copies of that deed made, of course. Uh, but then that original copy would be sent to the county recording office uh, for recording. Uh, and then after it's stamped recorded by the clerk, uh, the clerk will send it back to the buyer's lender who will hold onto that deed for safekeeping until the mortgage is paid off. And then when the mortgage is paid off, uh, the lender will send that, that deed to uh, the buyer. And so that's the process that we engage in today. The process was very similar back in ancient times. In the ancient Near East, they just didn't have the same technology that we have. So the, the idea of sealing a document, uh, the parties to the contract would sign the document or, or make some kind of identifying mark on the document. Uh, and then the recording scribe would roll his cylinder uh, over, he's got a cylinder seal, and he rolls it across the bottom of this document, and that would make an impression on the bottom of the document, uh, which would guarantee the document's authenticity. And then the scribe would copy that document uh, and put the original document in a safe place uh, in order to preserve it. Now, we actually have a biblical example of this happening. Uh, Jeremiah, in chapter 32, he bought a piece of property. And this is his, his, uh, how he recounted uh, what, he, what happened. He said, so I, Jeremiah, bought the field at Anatoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed, and weighed out the silver on the scales. I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions, as well as the unsealed copy, and I gave this deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, the scribe. So Jeremiah sealed this copy not to hide the contents or keep them secret, but to preserve and authenticate this document. And then the unsealed copy, of course, would be available for public inspection. Uh, and so Daniel... Uh, the angel wanted Daniel uh, to, uh, to preserve this book, not just the final vision, but the entire book for future generations, especially, though, those who would be living in the end times, these times of tribulation uh, that Daniel was recounting. And because Daniel sealed it up and preserved it, uh, you and I are studying this book today, uh, which is quite amazing. <clears throat> now, this word in verse 4, many will go here and there. Uh, that verb means that the, the, the happening... Uh, at the end times, they're going to cause people to search for knowledge. They're going to look around here, there, and everywhere trying to figure out what is going on. And God says that those who do look around, their knowledge will be increased. Now, think about how much we know, how much more we know on this side of the cross, 2,000 years after the cross, than Daniel knew. Uh, you know, in light of, of what we've seen from Daniel's prophecy, we know now about the coming and going of the Babylonian and the Persian and the Greek and the Roman uh, empires. And we can understand the revelation way better than Daniel could have possibly understood it. But now consider the people who are living in these tribulation times that Daniel is talking about uh, at the time of the end. Uh, last week, when we read about the Antichrist and, and the things that he would do and the wars that he would engage in, we're talking about things that are going to happen in the future. And so uh, Daniel's language is somewhat obscure at times, and so uh, we're left to only imagine what some of these things are uh, that may happen at the end times. But for the people who are living in the end times, uh, those, when they are reading Daniel, they'll be living it as they're reading the book of Daniel, and they'll know exactly what the language means and exactly what Antichrist will be doing because they will be living through it. And that's the entire point of why 
God wanted Daniel to seal up, to preserve uh, these words for future generations because they really weren't for Daniel. Uh, they were for future generations, for us, but especially for the people who are going to be living through that tribulation. And it says here that the wise are going to seek understanding. The wise will seek understanding. Uh, and <clears throat> they, they, will, they will find Daniel. They will go here and there looking for knowledge. They will find Daniel. They will study Daniel. And they will be comforted by it because they will know, as we've been saying since the beginning of this study, that Jesus wins. And because Jesus wins, we win. And so those who follow Jesus uh, they are going to be comforted. Uh, Jesus has already won the victory at the cross and at the resurrection, and he will come again. He will defeat his enemies when he returns. So what's the moral of the story? It's very simple. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus, and you cannot go wrong. So now, uh, seal up the book, and now Daniel is going to get some revelation about the length of time of the distress. This is verses 5 through 7. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, it will be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has finally been broken, these things will be completed. All right, try to picture this scene, back to verses 5 and 6. Uh, there is Daniel, and then there are three angels. There, there's the angel that Daniel is talking to, the one who he's been talking to uh, for the entire book. This is probably the angel Gabriel. Then they're looking at the Tigris River. There's an angel standing on one side of the Tigris River. There's another angel standing on the other end of the Tigris River. Now, above them all is this man in linen, uh, probably Jesus himself, who is suspended high in the air above them, and they're having this conversation together. That's what's going on here. Now, why two angels? Why, are there, why is there an angel on one side, one on the other side? Well, some commentators suggest that, as Deuteronomy 19.15 says, that every oath must be uh, attested to by two witnesses. Well, this man in linen is going to make an oath in verse 7. And so maybe, possibly, the two angels are there as witnesses to this oath that the, one, uh, the man in linen is going to take in verse 7. And that's what co some commentators say. That may or not, may not be so, but that's a, a fairly decent explanation, I think, for why these two angels are there. But one of the angels asked the question <clears throat> of, uh, that, that was probably most likely on Daniel's mind as he's hearing about this prophecy and trying to understand it. Uh, and and uh, we're not told which one it is. It could have been Gabriel. It could have been one of the other two angels who asked the question. But he says, how long will it be before these astonishing things fulfill are fulfilled? So the angel asked the man clothed in linen that question. And it's interesting because though he's an angel, he doesn't know the answer, right? And, and we know from uh, 1 Peter 1.12, uh, he says, uh, Peter says, even the angels long to look into these things, right? So the angels don't have the knowledge that the man in linen has, which is a good reason why, we, uh, why commentators think that the man in linen is a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. So it's very interesting that, that the angel is just as curious about these things as Daniel is. And so he asks the question. 
Now, when he asked the question, how long will it be before these things happen, uh, he didn't mean how long is it going to be before they begin. He means how long are they going to last once they begin. That's what the question means. And so uh, these astonishing things are all that Daniel predicted. Everything that Daniel says is going to happen, or that, 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 that Daniel's vision says is going to happen, especially uh, in Daniel chapter 11, about the time of the end of this tribulation period. <clears throat> so the man in linen, Jesus himself, uh, he lifts both hands toward heaven, right? First his right hand, then his left hand reaches up toward heaven, looks up and swears by uh, the one who lives forever. Now, obviously, that's God. He's swearing by God. And Jesus can swear by God because he is God. Uh, and he knows uh, exactly what's going to happen. And so his word is his oath. The witnesses are there to, to testify to it. And Jesus says that the length of time is time, times, and half a time. Now, we've seen this language before, right? We've seen this language uh, used in Daniel 7, uh, 25 to say three and a half years. That's what time, times, and, and half a time is. So time is one year, times is two years, and half a time is half a year or six months. So we see this, this amount of time described variously uh, in Daniel and in Revelation. Daniel 9, 27 says the length of time uh, of the second tribulation, when the, uh, the second half of the tribulation, when the Antichrist wages war against Israel is time, times, and half a time. Uh, Revelation chapter 11, verse 2 describes it as 42 months. And Revelation uh, 11, verse 3 calls it 1260 days. Uh, so that's going to be important as we come to the next verses. Uh, 1260 days is 42 months of 30 days or three and a half years. So we have the length of time. Now Jesus gives the reason for the length of time. Uh, he says that the reason for the length of time is that's how long it will take for the power of the holy people to finally be broken. Now the holy people is Israel, right? <clears throat> that's God's holy people. We talked last week, and we talked when we were back in Daniel chapter 9, uh, about the reasons for the tribulation. And one of the reasons for the tribulation uh, is that God wants to draw Israel to himself. And the only way to break the pride, self-sufficiency, and arrogance of a sinful and, and godless people is through suffering. That's how God often brings people to uh, his feet. And I'm not beating up on Israel here. Uh, every human being who has ever lived has this problem of human pride and the need for a savior. Uh, we don't want to admit that we, uh, that we can't do it on our own and that we need a savior because we are proud and self-sufficient people. And I learned this myself in a very personal way uh, when God used very difficult circumstances to draw me to himself, uh, to humble me uh, and make me realize that, that I cannot do this uh, without a savior. I need the Lord God. Uh, and many of you have similar testimonies. Uh, and what God has done for you, God will do for Israel one day, not because he hates Israel. That's not why he's going to make them go through the tribulation. He's going to make them go through the tribulation because he loves Israel and he wants to draw them to himself <clears throat> and bring them salvation. Now, back when we were studying the book of Romans a couple years ago, we talked all through Romans chapters 9 through 11 about God's plan for Israel. Uh, and he wraps up that section, uh, verses 11, 25 to 27, saying this, 
Paul, Paul wrote this, uh, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Uh, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant when I take away their sins. Now, Paul is reiterating uh, what is called the new covenant, which was stated back in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 33 to 34 says this, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put the law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because... They will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. So God has made promises to Israel, and God will fulfill those promises to Israel. And that's going to happen in the tribulation period. And those who hear and, be sa and are saved will enter into the millennial kingdom. Well, <clears throat> that's one question. Uh, how long? Well, Daniel heard that question. He heard the answer to the question, and he's still confounded. And so he's got a question of his own. And this is verses 8 through 13. Uh, we'll start with verses 8 to, 8 to 10. Uh, this is what Daniel says. Uh, I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? And he replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. So Daniel is he's filled with confusion still, uh, and Jesus answers him. Now, Jesus' answer is not a reprimand. Uh, it's more of a, don't worry, Daniel. You don't need to know everything. Uh, this is mostly for the people who are going to be living in that time, in that day and age. And still, Jesus gives Daniel even more information in this section uh, as the book ends. And I'm sure that this, these, these verses that we're about to read uh, caused more questions than answers for Daniel. But still, he did get further revelation. Now, remember back in Matthew 24. Uh, remember Matthew 24, Jesus talks about the tribulation. And he says that's going to be worse than anything Israel has ever experienced. Now, just think about Israel's long history, right? enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years, uh, released, brought, come, come back to Israel, uh, divide into 12 tribes. The 10 northern tribes of, Assy of uh, Israel uh, are conquered and exiled to Assyria in 722 BC. The two southern tribes uh, conquered by Babylon, exiled to Babylon in 586 BC. Their temple destroyed. They're allowed to come back 70 years later. Uh, they, they rebuild, uh, and then they're under, uh, after Babylonian control, they become under Persian control. And after they're under Persian control, they become under Greek control. And the Greek ruler Antiochus Epiphanes, who we've talked about in this book uh, from Daniel chapter 8, the little horn, uh, from 175 to 168 BC, uh, he tried to exterminate Israel and destroy the law and destroy the temple. They survived that. But then Rome comes into power, and Rome has their own clashes with Israel. And finally, the second temple that they had built uh, destroyed in 70 AD, scattering Israel to the four winds uh, for centuries. Uh, they come back to their homeland uh, over time, uh, and, 
In the 1900s, of course, Hitler began the most merciless persecution, perhaps, that Israel has ever undergone. Uh, and uh, they survived that, and, and uh, they're established as a nation. And now they're in that land, surrounded on every side by people who all want to kill them. And it's hard to go uh, barely a week without hearing about rockets being launched into Israel. And despite all that, the tribulation is going to be worse far worse than Israel has ever experienced before. And that is really saying something, isn't it? And what will the effect of this awful tribulation be? Well, verse 10 says, many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. These are God's elect. These are the ones who are going to uh, hear the word in the tribulation period, and they're going to hear the good news that Jesus Christ died for their sins and rose from the dead, and they are going to be saved. Now, this does not mean that every single Jew will be saved, but there will be a massive turning of Israel as a nation uh, to Jesus in the last days. And then on the other hand, we have the wicked. Those are the ones who will refuse to repent of their sins and, and receive Jesus's free offer of salvation. And Revelation says several times that despite all that's going on, uh, all the pain, all the suffering, many people will still not repent. And here's an example from Revelation 16. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the, uh, on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these uh, plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. Can you imagine the pride of a people that, that, despite all that, will refuse to turn uh, themselves over to God and receive his forgiveness and salvation? Well, contrast the wicked with the wise. The wise will search for knowledge, and they will find it in Daniel's words, and, and God will increase their understanding, and they will receive Jesus as their Savior, while the rest will perish. Now, that's heavy stuff, right? That's very sad stuff. And for Daniel to listen to that uh, would, would, would trouble him, right? And so this is why he wants to know how long until the end of these things. And so Jesus gives a little further information in verses 11 through 13. He says, From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end, you will rest, and then at the end of days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. So first, let's just notice that Jesus talked about uh, that, that the, the fact that the sacrifices will be abolished and that the abomination that causes desolation will be set up. We've already learned in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, that, that uh, in the middle of the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to put an end to sacrifice, and he's going to set up this abomination that causes desolation. So Daniel is speaking to this vision of the pre-incarnate Christ 500 plus years before Jesus is born. When Jesus lived and walked the earth in Matthew 24, uh, this is what he had to say about this period of time. He said, so when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and for nursing mothers." Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, 
unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. This tribulation is going to be really, really bad, really intense for Israel. Now, we don't know exactly what this abomination that causes desolation will be, but perhaps we get a hint of what it will be uh, in Revelation chapter 13. Uh, This is what it says. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. And it ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So the first beast is the Antichrist. The second beast is the false prophet. The false prophet is the one who causes uh, the people to worship uh, the Antichrist, the first beast. Uh, And so this image is going to be set up. And perhaps this is the abomination that causes desolation. Now, some people are going to worship that beast And because they worship the image of that beast, they are going to survive physically for a time. Antichrist is not going to kill them because they are going to take the mark of the beast and they're going to worship uh, the image. So they're going to live physically for a while, but they're going to die spiritually because they have rejected Jesus as their savior in order to preserve their lives. Others are not going to worship this image and they are going to be killed physically. The Antichrist is going to kill them physically, but they are going to live spiritually because they are going to worship the Lord Jesus Christ and reject the Antichrist. He'll kill them for it, but they will live spiritually forever because they worship Jesus rather than the image of the beast. Now, in verse 11, Jesus gives additional information. It will be 1290 days from the days when the Antichrist stops sacrifices and sets up the abomination that causes desolation until the end. So 1290 days now between the abomination and the end. Now, this is obviously very confusing because we just said earlier that it was 1260 days from this time to the end time. So how do we explain this additional 30 days? Well... Unfortunately, there are no real satisfying answers. Uh, Some commentators think that the Antichrist may announce the termination of uh, the, or announce the termination of the sacrifices and the setting up of the abomination 30 days before uh, the 1260 days begins. And so the 30 days would precede uh, the, the 1260 days under that theory. Others think that the 30 days follow after uh, the 1260 days, maybe to cleanse the temple or to judge unbelievers when he returns to the earth. So just commentators uh, taking their best guess because there's not a lot of information here. But if that weren't confusing enough, verse 12 adds, blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of 1335 days. So now we have an extra 45 days to account for. Uh, And so how do we do that? Well, most commentators think that these 45 days are for uh, Jesus to set up his millennial government before the millennial kingdom actually begins. So the timeline might look like this. The announcement, then 30 days, then 1260 days, then 45 days, the uh, 
PowerPoint didn't come out quite as right on the, uh, on the screen as it looked on my computer screen. Or you might have 1,260 days followed by 30 days followed by 45 days. Uh, and the truth is, there's just not enough information for us to say for sure. And so commentators are left uh, to do their best educated guessing. But we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, we'll find out when we get there. Now, the last verse of the book is verse 13. As for you, Daniel, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of days, you will rise up to receive your allotted inheritance. Now, Daniel, just imagine what's going through his mind as he's listening to this, not just this last passage, but the entire book of Daniel, uh, how draining this must have been on him and how scary this is for him to realize what his people are going to go through. And Jesus wanted to reassure Daniel. Daniel didn't live to see most of his prophecies fulfilled, uh, but he would rest, meaning that, that his body uh, would die, but his soul would be in heaven in peace. And when Jesus returns, Daniel's body will rise up uh, and it will be reunited with his soul. Uh, and just like our bodies, we're going to receive glorified resurrection bodies. Daniel will too. And he will receive his allotted inheritance in the millennial kingdom. Daniel will receive his reward. And likewise, all who receive Jesus Christ as their savior will receive this reward. And so <clears throat> this is how Daniel... Uh, the book of Daniel closes uh, with God reassuring Daniel that everything's going to be okay, Daniel. You go your way. Uh, this is not all for you to know. Uh, I will take care of you. Now, in the time that we have left, I, I just want us to kind of think about uh, the book of Daniel and, and draw out some lessons uh, from the book of Daniel as a whole. And there are, are four things that I really want us to take away from this study. Uh, and we'll do this by way of application. Uh, and the first one is that I want us to know that God has a purpose for each one of our lives. You know, Daniel had a very hard life when you think about it, right? Uh, he was captured uh, as a teenager. He was exiled to Babylon, uh, taken away from his family, living in a foreign land with a foreign culture that worshipped a foreign god that's unknown to Israel. That's chapter one. He ends up in the king's service, uh, but then he has to speak very difficult truths to King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 and chapter 4, and to King Belshazzar in chapter 5. Uh, each one of them held the power of life and death over Daniel. And then after Persia conquered Babylon and, and Daniel was rising up in the Persian government, uh, the other officials in the Persian government were, were jealous of him and they wanted to kill him. His enemies conspired to kill him out of jealousy, using his own faith as a weapon to try and have him killed. That's chapter 6. Then, chapter 7 through 12, God gives Daniel these visions, which were impossible for Daniel to understand. There's just not enough there. And God's purpose for him was not to understand everything, but to write it down and preserve the scroll for future generations. And at the end of Daniel's life, Daniel must have been exhausted, worn out from everything that he had endured. And yet, God was always with him. Daniel trusted and obeyed God, and he fulfilled God's purpose for his life. Now, what would you say has been God's purpose for your life? What is God's purpose for your life? What has he asked you to do? And have you been faithful to his call? Have you done what he's asked you to do? These are questions we should all be asking ourselves as we enter into this new year. What better time than to ask ourselves these kinds of questions? We're all here because God is not yet done with us. If God were done with us, he would take us home. 
He's left us here because he has some reason for us to be here. We're on mission for God to lead the lost to Christ and to encourage other believers. So what are your passions? What, what particular passions do you have? Most likely, the things you're passionate about line up with the things that God is passionate about, and he can use your passions and your skill set to bring others to Christ. What are your spiritual gifts? Uh, if you don't know, take a spiritual gifts test. Uh, ask your friends what your spiritual gifts are. How can you use those spiritual gifts in order to advance the gospel, to further the kingdom, to edify the body, to build up believers? Uh, this is God's purpose for your life. So what is God's purpose for your life? Think about that this week. Why are you still here? What does God have that he wants for you to do? Think about that. Pray about this, that this week. God has a purpose for each of our lives. The second thing that I really want us to take from this study is that we may not always see the fruit of God's purpose for our lives. Uh, Daniel lived until at least his mid-80s, right? We don't have any record of his death, but he probably died where he lived most of his life and prophesied uh, in Babylon. Uh, and, and most of his prophecies, uh, especially 7 to 12, uh, they were fulfilled long after his life uh, was over. Uh, he didn't live to see the end of any of that. And some of these prophecies have still yet to be fulfilled. Now, Daniel longed to understand what he was prophesying and, and about and these visions he was seeing. And God says, this is not for you. You go your way, Daniel. That wasn't God's purpose and plan for Daniel, for him to understand everything that he was seeing. So when God says, go your way, Daniel, that's a nice way of saying, Daniel, you live your life. Not everything is yours to know. Your purpose is to just seal up this vision. So even though Daniel didn't see the prophecies fulfilled, how many people do you think have been blessed since the, the uh, 2,500 years have passed since he wrote these prophecies? Uh, my own personal testimony is the first time I studied Daniel really in depth, I was teaching it in a Sunday school class uh, several years ago. And as I'm going through the book, just amazed by the prophecies, the, the exact detail of the prophecies and their fulfillment, and I just can't even tell you how much that strengthened my faith in the Bible, my confidence in the Bible, that, that these prophecies, uh, some have been fulfilled to the day. Some of the most minutest details in this prophecy have already been fulfilled. And that gives me great confidence that what has yet to be fulfilled will be fulfilled. Namely, most importantly, that Jesus is coming again and that he has reserved a place in heaven for me. Uh, that's what the book of Daniel has meant to me uh, in my life. Now, Daniel, for his part, uh, he played his role in history. Uh, and I have been blessed. We have been blessed 2,500 years later. That's why God wanted Daniel to seal up, preserve this message, not conceal it and hide it like uh, they hid the Egyptian pharaohs. Now, you and I may not see the fruit of what God has called us to do, God's purpose for our lives. He may give us a job to do now that won't bear fruit for 50 years, 100 years, 1,000 years. Who knows? We just spread the seed and we trust God with the outcome. And, and, and that would be doing just what Daniel did. And so it's okay if you don't understand what, why God is calling you to what he's calling you to. Just obey like Daniel did. Obey and trust God, and he will uh, bear fruit in, in whatever purpose he has for your life. The third thing I really want us to take from this study is that God's promises are true and can be trusted. Daniel could rest in the promise that God would raise him up to receive his inheritance. You know, Daniel showed throughout his life that he had no fear of death. 
right? I mean, he shot it straight to kings who held the power of life and death over him. Uh, and he lived with integrity, knowing that his enemies wanted to have him killed. And so uh, he, he, he wasn't afraid of death. Now, death doesn't hold any, uh, any fear uh, over us, right? We're not afraid of death. Of course, the process of dying causes us some, some fear and some trepidation, but, but, but death itself holds no fear for the believer because like Daniel, we know where we're going. Our future, our eternity is secure because God is faithful and true. And this should give us uh, tremendous peace. Uh, the world is incredibly anxious, incredibly agitated. You see it on social media and on the news every day, everybody yelling at each other, uh, but we should look different, right? We ought to be those who exemplify peace because we know where we're going, because God's promises are true and can be trusted. And finally, uh, Jesus wins, and because he wins, we win. I've been saying this since we started this book study, and it's probably the thing I want us to remember most uh, from this book. Uh, <clears throat> the prophecies are confusing. Most of us are going to forget what the, what the statue meant and what the beasts mean and what the horns mean and what the time and times and time and a half mean or half a time mean. We, we may forget these things uh, in the next few weeks or few months, but I want us to remember uh, that because Jesus wins and because we follow Jesus, we win too. You know, I've, I've been calling this series the faithfulness of a great man and the sovereignty of our great God. And, you know, if I had it to do over again, I'd probably call this series the faithfulness of our great man and the sovereignty of our awesome God. Uh, as the pastor, I think in the last week of the sermon study, I get the right to change the, the title if I'd like. And so that's what I would do. But I think God deserves his own adjective, right? He is awesome. He is absolutely awesome. And we see it uh, throughout this book that he is able to, to say what is going to happen and then make it happen. Uh, he is in control of all things and he will reward those who remain faithful to him. And because we have aligned ourselves with Jesus and because Jesus wins, all the blessings that God has promised will be ours, and we will spend our eternity worshiping him and rejoicing in his presence. And that is the message of Daniel. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, brothers and sisters. Lord God, uh, we thank you for this incredible book. Uh, Lord, it is sometimes confusing, but uh, oftentimes it's extremely clear. And uh, Lord, what it shows us is that you are sovereign and that you are in control, and that we don't need to worry about what's happening in the world today because you have ordained it, and Lord, you are in control of it, and you will use it for your glory and somehow for good, Lord. And so uh, when we don't understand, just like Daniel didn't understand, uh, our charge is simply to follow, trust, and obey. Lord, I pray that you'll give us the courage and the strength to do that in these troubling times. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for the blessing of your son Jesus who uh, lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, and then rose from the dead to secure our salvation, Lord. And uh, what we want to take from Daniel, Lord, is that if we, if we follow Jesus, if we trust him with our salvation, uh, we will be saved, just like Daniel was saved, Lord. We can trust you because you are faithful and true. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.